Thank you, my dear brother. Well, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, if you would open up there. Up there. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word out of reverence for the authority with which he speaks in it and attentiveness to his voice. Reading out of the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word and for the power it contains and for your faithfulness, Lord, to speak through it to us by the power of your spirit. We open it now, as always, with expectation that you have something fresh and timely and relevant for us. We open it with the expectation that what each of us needs to hear individually, that somehow you can speak to those individual needs even through a single message out of one voice. And so we invite you to do that as we open our ears and our hearts and ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant, to your people, for your glory. Because all of this that we do here is yours. And so I pray that you'd move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I pointed out last week that, uh, just as sort of a reminder for those who have been here this whole time, and for those who are just joining us, we're going through a, ser a series through the book of Ephesians, and so just continuing in that. But we've seen as we've gone through here, Paul has a lot to say in this letter about how we are to live, or as it says in, uh, in the more literal translations like the one I'm reading, how, how we are to walk, it uses that word, but really uh, pertaining to or meaning the way that we live. He has a lot to say about that, and he's especially concerned that Christians live in stark contrast to the way non-Christians live. And of course, that was particularly true in the day in which he was writing, um, because in Ephesus and in the Greco-Roman world, the sort of default culture was pagan, uh, meaning they were, they, they were polytheistic, they worshipped many gods, and all the cultural um, kind of expressions of that that came about. It was just really very opposite in many ways to what Christian ethics and the Christian life would call those believers to. And so he was, he was concerned at many points to say, um, walk in a way that is different from the culture that you've been called out of. So using the language like put off the old self and put on the new self. 
So he said, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He said, do not walk as the Gentiles do. Walk in love, walk in the light. We've heard all of those as uh, even sermon titles in some cases. And here he says, walk carefully. Walk carefully. Be careful how you walk. Or as the NIV translates verse 15 there, be very careful how you live. That's why I titled this message, Spend Your Life Carefully. Spend your life carefully. And I, I, I thought of the word spend. Uh, certainly, we use that kind of language uh, to refer to the way we spend our time and the way we spend our lives. But somehow, there seemed to be a really helpful analogy to be made between the way we spend our life and the way we spend our money. Or, or I should say, just the spending of life and the spending of money. There's, there's analogies to be drawn from the two of those. Because you know there are people who manage money very carefully, right? And there are people who manage it very carelessly. I think maybe some of the most sensational stories of careless and wasteful spending come from professional athletes. You hear the stories sometimes. Those people who have come into just vast sums of money suddenly. They've never had any, and all of a sudden they've got more than any of us could fathom. And, um, and, in, in, and some of, again, the most sensational stories, that's not to say that all of them are guilty of that, or even most, but some of the most sensational stories um, are about how people who come into that kind of money just, just sort of blow through it. And so they might spend... Uh, whopping sums of money on mansions or airplanes or yachts, extravagant clothes or jewelry, or even, uh, in the case of one famous boxer, tigers. He bought three white tigers. And uh, another who bought sharks and had a tank built for sharks to swim in. <laughs> you, know, you got a lot of discretionary income if you're buying tigers and sharks, you know. And I might say, uh, in the judgment of many people anyway, maybe, maybe not good discretion either, but a lot of discretion there about spending uh, your money. But many of them in those cases, and again, we don't, I, I say the most sensational versions of those stories because we, we don't really have to look at professional athletes. We can look at one another and find stories of spending money carelessly. Um, but I'm really just trying to, to sort of paint this contrast so we understand and we have context for thinking about this comparison to how we spend our lives. Because many of those people who spend wastefully um, and then end up in really distressed situations in some cases, they would have been well served if somebody had said to them, be very careful how you spend your money. Be very careful how you manage your money. And then had some practical advice for how they might actually go about doing that. That would have been helpful if, they, if somebody said that and somebody who actually had some wisdom to offer there, right? And somebody who could be trusted. And sadly, there are those stories where people did have somebody who told them that and they listened to them and, and that person swindled them out of their money or wasted their money or whatever the cases, case may be. But in Ephesians 5, Christians really do get 
that sort of advice or that, that sort of exhortation and some advice to follow from the Apostle Paul, not about how we spend our money, but how we spend our lives. He said, be careful, be very careful how you live. Be very careful how you spend your life. And I'm going to touch pretty, pretty briefly here um, the highlights of this passage that unpack that about how it is we, we can approach a careful use of our lives, a careful uh, spending of the lives we've been given. And really there are two ways that he mentions here. The first is be wise. Be wise. Uh, it's, it's in very general terms, but he says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk or look carefully on how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And he goes on, again, to sort of explain a little bit about what wise living might look like. In verse 16, he says, make the best use of the time. Or again, as the NIV translates, make the most of every opportunity. This is one of the ways that we can sort of practically live out wise living, which is careful living. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil, he said. The word translated time here is kairos rather than chronos, and some of you are familiar with those two Greek words. You've heard that in, in teachings before, but chronos has more to do with uh, you know, clocks and calendars and, and, and day planners, okay, uh, counting minutes and hours and days and so forth, the time as, we, as it unfolds in sequence that way. That's really more chronos time and kairos referring more to an appointed time or season. So it's almost time, I would tell you, for your lawn maintenance. It's almost time for you to put out your pre-emergent uh, herbicide for your, your, fall, your fall treatment uh, of your weed treatment for the season that you might put down. There's a time, in other words, a season for that kind of thing to happen, right? An appointed season, and, there, and there's all kinds of ways that would pertain to life, but kairos refers to that sort of time. Sometimes it's, it's used to refer to specifically to divinely ordained moments and seasons. Now, we would want to say all moments and seasons are actually divinely ordained and sovereignly ruled over and so forth. But the, but the Bible and the way that it uses that term and applies it would, uh, would specifically draw that out at time. But it's those appointed time or seasons and the opportunities that arise in those seasons of life. And so this season of time that we're living in right now, 2023, presents its own unique opportunities and challenges, right? In fact, it occurred to me as I was thinking through this, I suspect there are some who, uh, to whom God has been so great, gracious to extend your life so many years. We've celebrated some 90th and 91st birthdays and 92nd birthdays and that kind of thing recently. Some of you, probably when you were 20, never imagined that you would be alive during this particular season with its unique opportunities and challenges. You didn't think you'd even live to this age, much less couldn't have conceived that you would live in a time where technology has changed the way we live so uh, dramatically, right? You just, you never could have conceived of 
the world. And yet, you are still alive. I'm sure of that, if you're here. <laughs> uh, some of you aren't awake, but you are alive, I trust. If you have any questions, check the pulse of the person next to you. But, but you, you are still alive. I mean, it, so he has appointed for all of us to be alive at this time, in this place. And so, what are the special opportunities, uh, even in spite of the special challenges, what are, what, are, what are the special opportunities that are presented to us in this particular season that we're, we're living in, and how can each of us make the best use of those? even in spite of or in light of the fact that the days are still evil. As he said to the Ephesians, it's still true here. There's plenty of, um, of evil around in the world at every season of time. Again, it's, it expresses itself in different ways right now than it did 50 years ago, perhaps. And in fact, it expresses its way, itself in some of the same ways as it did 50 years ago as well. But in light of those, or even in spite of those, how can each of us make the best use of this season of time? That's one of the ways we can live carefully. The second thing he says about being wise is, verse 17, do not be foolish. I love that, don't you? Like, that is very practical. Like, that just, that's really clear. Hey, be wise. Don't be foolish. Sometimes we need somebody to tell us that, right? Hey, Stacy, don't do something stupid. Uh, well, I tried. <laughs> Oops, too late. I wish you had said that earlier. Do not be foolish. But seriously, that is actually helpful advice because one of the ways we can be wise in committing ourselves to living carefully, one of the ways we can be wise is simply to seek in every point of life and every decision, what's the wise thing to do? What is the, what's the, if we were to stop and ask that question for every, every decision we make, what's the wise thing to do right now? And if we would we hear somebody saying to us in their loving uh, and, and perhaps yet stern voice, do not be foolish. But if we were asking, what's the wise thing to do? Maybe if we had some in, in mind, someone in mind who we we credit for being especially wise. They've had that sort of impact on us and influence. We've heard them give a lot of wise counsel over the years, and maybe we're saying, what would he do right now in this situation? And it, I, I'm being very, very honest and very practical here. If, if people were simply to do those things, to just stop and ask, what is the wise thing to do? They would find themselves living a whole lot more wisely. And particularly if they know they're trying not to be foolish. And then uh, the, other, the third thing he says here about being wise is understand the will of the Lord. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. I'd say that's a little bit similar to the passage we were looking at last week about asking some of those diagnostic questions as we evaluate life and what makes up our life, the activities, the way we spend ourselves in life. If we were to ask, is this good? Is it right? Is it true? Is it pleasing to the Lord? And I would say this understanding the, the will of the Lord is similar in some way to discerning what pleases the Lord in the sense that 
He's already answered a lot of that. He's revealed in the scriptures things that are pleasing to him and things that are his general will for people. Things that we know are his desire and intention for us ultimately and eternally. Uh, things that he wants to do in our lives to conform us more to the likeness of Jesus over the course of our lifetime and so forth. There's a lot that he's already revealed. So in light of that, stop and consider how is the Lord at work in this appointed season? What's God up to? Let's slow down, turn off the noise of life long enough to ask that question and to consider how is the Lord at work and how should we respond to that? Don't just live on autopilot, in other words, which is really easy to do. But don't just live on autopilot. That will, that will assure you the default setting that we have as human beings is to live carelessly. If we, in other words, if we are not giving care to how we live, the, the alternative is automatically careless living. And uh, it's likely to yield some of the unfruitful kind of results that uh, many of us have experienced in our past. So one of the ways we can live carefully or spend our lives carefully is just being wise and committing ourselves to be wise. The second one is to be filled with the Spirit. As is often the case, I feel like it's almost always the case through Ephesians, um, I could have made each one of these points a different sermon perhaps. There's a lot that could be said here. But he says, be wise, and then he says, be filled with the Spirit in verses 18 through 21. And he again presents a contrast in lifestyle. He's done this throughout this letter, right? Especially beginning in chapter 4. Don't live the way you used to. Live this way. Don't live the way the, 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 the Gentiles do. Live this other way instead. He's, he's painting contrasts um, all along the way. Put off the old, put on the new. And he does that again here with being, uh, saying to be filled with the Spirit because he says, in contrast, do not get drunk with wine. Now, I pause right there because that's actually good practical advice too, isn't it? Do not be foolish and do not get drunk. By the way, if you don't get drunk, you will really improve your odds a whole lot of not being foolish, right? You know there's a correlation between those two. Uh, and I, 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 I hate to say I, can, I know from experience in uh, some time... In a, in a past life long, long ago. I can, I can say myself, but drunk people do foolish things. And so one of the ways you can really help yourself out, you can really reduce the quantity of your foolishness is just by not getting drunk. Do not get drunk with wine, um, for that is dissipation or debauchery. In other words, it's a wasteful way of living. You'll waste your time, you'll waste your money, you'll, you'll, it'll, it'll cost you a lot physically. In fact, if you live that sort of lifestyle as you know, some people do, just really given over to drunkenness as sort of a way of life. But one who is resolved not to be foolish uh, ought to resolve not to get drunk and waste themselves in, in a lot of ways. But he really says that, again, in, in order to illuminate the point he really intends to make here, which is, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The way that we can live, spend our lives carefully to take care 
the way we live is to be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being drunk and being under the control of alcohol, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Instead of conducting ourselves like drunk people do, which is what? Well, you think about even, and some of you know from experience too, so you are not fooling me, but I, I'm, I will, we'll pretend like you don't know. And maybe that's a long time ago in your memory too, but, um, but we know even from the sort of caricatures of that, you think about even the, uh, the scenes of the old, in the old Western movies of the Wild West saloons, right? And, and what, is, what is life like in, in the saloons? Well, there's drinking and drunkenness. There's fighting and cussing and gambling. There's the saloon women, and there's a piano in the corner, right? That's a little bit out of tune, and they're singing bar songs to it. That's actually, I mean, it's a bit of an exaggeration, right? But it's, a, it, it's, it, it's not far off in terms of characterizing what that life is like that he's speaking about. And the lifestyle he knows that they've been called out of, and he's telling them to, it's the, it, that's contrary to a life of, being, of walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Fighting, cursing, carousing, singing crude bar songs. Because drunk people like to sing, right? Don't necessarily sing well, but they like to sing, like, from the heart, you know, or from somewhere, anyway, you know. But again, I'm saying that because I think that's, that's really necessary to understand what he's saying we are to do instead. He's, he's, he's setting this in contrast to that way of life. We're to live in a way filled with the Spirit that is loving, gentle, gracious, uh, joyful, hopeful, all of those things are to characterize the life of lives of believers and lives toward one another. And so he says the life of, 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 the, of one filled with the Spirit is really uh, sort of manifest or demonstrated in four ways here. If you've got the ESV or another, uh, again, more literal translation, you'll see this in the ING words that follow. Addressing, singing, giving thanks, submitting addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in verse 19. Uh, again, this would be an interesting little study or discussion by itself that would pertain, I would say, uh, not only to worship gatherings, but just the gatherings of believers in general. Again, if you think about the, 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 what gatherings of Christians ought to look like in contrast to the gathering of unbelievers in bars and parties and hangouts of that sort, that when they get together, they're addressing one another, not in crude bar songs, so to speak, but in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to God. This is an interesting observation here as it does pertain uh, to our worship time together. That our singing both, both addresses one another and it addresses God. That, our, that, that, that the songs we sing, not every single song does both of these in, uh, equally, um, in, in, in equal portions or whatever, but that we sing songs that are to one another and we sing and make melody in our heart to God. And of course, you see the range of songs that includes the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's, 
a lot of discussion around the difference between those, and it's, it's interesting reading what New Testament scholars get into, Psalms having uh, praise songs with, uh, with an instrument, or the harp in particular, almost certainly for, for the Christian community has in view the book of Psalms, as well as perhaps some New Testament Psalms that are written. Hymns are songs of praise to God, spiritual songs, it's not really clear actually uh, what specifically those are, maybe more um, spontaneous or personalized, but the point is that what is coming out of our mouth in the way of songs is, is praiseworthy and edifying and so forth, both to one another and exalting God himself. So we're addressing one another, singing to God, and then giving thanks always and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Many of you know of that verse um, in 1 Thessalonians that says, in everything give thanks, because we will usually say to one another, it's in everything, not for everything. And here he says, for everything and always in the name of the Lord Jesus. There are some things that you couldn't thank God for in the name of the Lord Jesus. We wouldn't thank him for evil things being done to people, for example. There's all kinds of things. We couldn't say in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, that this evil is being done. But, but it is, it really lays out a challenge for us to say that we, uh, we are to view the life we've been given, the season that we're living in right now, we're to view it with thanksgiving, not with groaning, not with complaining, not with fear and dismay and anger and despair, but giving thanks always and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then finally in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This uh, really does touch the beginning of when we, we started sort of this therefore passage in chapter 4, as you remember, where he had laid out in the first three chapters all that God has done for us by grace, and then beginning in chapter 4, therefore, how do we live in response to that? And he opened that section by saying, you know, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. That's our posture toward one another. Giving of ourselves, seeking the interest of the other, etc. And here he touches that again as he, as he concludes this uh, passage here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Always laying down ourselves, not lording, lording it over one another as it were, but just having a posture that is always uh, elevating the interest of the other over our own interest. He says that enough times in enough different ways that perhaps eventually we get the message and are challenged enough to change uh, the way we live accordingly. And so there's a whole lot more that the Bible says about really every one of these bullet points, every one of these headings, and about the message itself. But what the New Testament repeatedly would urge Christians to do in one way or another, again, in one, in one way of expressing it or another, 
is to be very careful about the way you live. Careful, again, not meaning, uh, not meaning fearful or, um, or, or, or overly cautious, not hunkered down in the corner because you're afraid something bad is going to happen. It is just taking care to live life well in light of the fact that the life we have in Christ is all by God's grace. The, the health that we have is by his grace. The opportunities that we have by living in this appointed season and time, in this place, and so on in relationship with the people he's brought into our sphere are all by God's grace and by his divine appointment. And so how can we take the, the utmost care to live well the life that he's given us. Be wise, be filled with the Spirit, and live accordingly. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you and praise you. We can, we can think back on our own story, most of us, and remember a time when we were far off from you. When we were walking according to the course of this world, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, that we were going the other way from you and not walking with you, Lord, that we were enemies and not friends. We remember that. And we praise you, Lord, that you didn't leave us there, but you found us, you raised us up, you joined us with Jesus, made us children and heirs, and have given us a whole new life to live. And Lord, we continue to hear the exhortations made to us in the scriptures to live that life well. And so Lord, I just continue to pray that by your spirit, you would help us to examine our lives to evaluate what is good and right and true and pleasing to you about the way we're already living. And then from there, Lord, to just really resolve to live our lives carefully, to spend the life that you've given us with care, interested in being your ambassadors in the world, interested in our lives just reflecting something of your goodness and glory and interested, Lord, as servants on the earth to seize the opportunities appointed in this season of time. So, Lord, would you help us to see our world with hope and not with despair, with confidence and boldness, not with fear? Lord, with love for the world and not with disdain. And maybe even more for a love, with a love for one another that testifies to the world looking on that you are at work in the lives of your people and that you really do offer um, hope eternal and joy unspeakable. Lord, would you um, realign our hearts and our lives to reflect you in those ways. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we're going to stand and sing together here in a moment, and I'll just invite you, as always, just to be attentive to the Lord's voice even now as he leads, discerning um, how he might have you to respond to him now or later. Um, if you are in need of prayer for anything, we'll have some elders or ministry leaders available to pray with you as we sing the song. And again, then at the conclusion of the song, as we wrap up our service, we'll have a special time of prayer then following. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs> 